Welcome in Hardcore Penn State football. The Big Ten, it's getting bigger. USC, UCLA officially joining the Big Ten in 2024. We'll be talking about that and what that means for Penn State. Penn State gets a big commit. King Mac commits to Penn State. We'll be talking about that and, and what that means for this Penn State 2023 class. It's getting stronger and stronger by the minute. Also, we'll preview Northwestern. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. Sean Kane will be with me in just one second. Let's get right into the show, everybody. Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football. I'm Corey Listoki, and with me as always, Sean Kane. Happy 4th of July, Sean. Happy 4th of July to you, Corey. Thanks, man. Do You uh, you had a, a good weekend? I mean, we just talked a little bit off off stream, but um, everything everything go okay for you? Yeah, I went out to Pittsburgh um, for the first time so, um, to see my girlfriend's family. We had a Really, really nice week, and I, like I said, never been out there. I visited Slippery Rock University's campus. That's where she went to college. And then between Scranton and Pittsburgh, the halfway point to State College. So we stopped the champs on the way home to eat, to eat lunch, and I showed her where I lived um, at school and everything, too. So really, really nice week, and her parents um, are very, very nice people. It's always nice when you have an opportunity to, to stop by State College, even if it's just for a minute or even if just for lunch or something like that, it's always, always a nice time. So yeah, it was, uh, it was good down here too. We, um, you know, just had a lot of good food and, you know, had a, had a couple of good beverages as well. So it was nice, nice, un, um, uneventful, which is kind of like, kind of what you want your 4th of July to be like in a certain way. So no, it was a good time. I played a little bit of golf too. So yeah, it was a solid weekend. Um, I'm glad we're able to record this. We are recording Sunday. Well, no, I guess technically it's Monday, Monday, Monday night yeah. here. Yeah, get my days confused. Fourth of July is almost over. Um, in fact, it's almost Tuesday for you on the East Coast. Um, yep. So we appreciate Sean staying up super late to record this before starting off the short week. Um, but we wanted to get this done. I'm I'm traveling a couple of days for work, so we wanted to get this episode out because Sean, I don't know if you heard or not, but there's a lot of things have happened in the college football world since we last spoke last week. Yeah, I've heard a few things. Um, one of them might have been prophesized a little bit on the Hardcore Penn State Football Podcast. Right. Yeah. If you were listening, I want to. I don't. I want to say it was episode nineteen, maybe twenty. Um, when we were talking about the realignment and what potentially could happen, yeah, Sean was talking about USC and hey, if if that was something that could happen, and sure enough, it could happen, and it did happen. USC and UCLA. Be joining the Big Ten in 2024. Um, 
first of all, I'm impressed with how well this was kept hush hush. Nobody had any idea this happened until the day it was going to happen. It was, I think the news probably broke around 10 a.m., 11 a.m., maybe even noon Eastern. And by 6 Eastern, they had voted and and, and accepted. And by they, I mean the Big Ten, um, USC and UCLA. So it all happened really extremely fast. And I'm kind of impressed that nobody else had any idea that that was going to happen. Yeah, me too, because it had been in production for months, and it just happened for us so quickly. It was reported that it could happen early afternoon, and then by 6 o'clock, it was done. Um, And the acquisition itself, if we want to get into it now, uh, this was a home run for the Big Ten. And I wanted them to think big with this. I didn't want to settle for an Iowa State. I didn't want to settle for a Georgia Tech. I didn't want to settle for the equivalent of Maryland and Rutgers again. And going, being bold and going out west and getting USC and UCLA is a huge win. And for me, it was a lot about who checks the most boxes. So, obviously, USC and UCLA aren't a geographic fit. They're in Southern California. I don't care as much about that as maybe some others do, because the Big Ten already, in a way, threw geography out the window a long time ago when they went and acquired Maryland and Rutgers, and even to an extent, Penn State. Um, So, now, is it a big leap from those schools to to the West Coast? Yes. But the pros definitely outweigh those cons. You're bringing in the L.A. market. You're bringing in two very good academic institutions. You're bringing in two top-notch athletic institution, uh, athletic departments. Um, I know UCLA hasn't been great with football um, in the past 20 years, but that could change. And what they bring in in basketball and all their other uh, sports teams – Definitely makes up for that. And we're bringing in USC, who is probably the only other blue blood outside of Ohio State in the Big Ten now, in my opinion. We could have that blue blood discussion. It's a whole different topic for a different day. But that is such a huge get for us. Now what I and now I think the question is, what happens next? And I think we could get into that. But I want to hear what Corey has to say about it. Yeah, you said a lot of great things there that I want to kind of come back to kind of piece by piece. Um, first of all, let's talk, I guess, about the the fit, because I think that's something that. Obviously, from a TV TV rights perspective, it's a it's a home run, and I agree with you there. Um, you kind of touched on the, you know, the geography and the regional rivalries and those kind of things. From that perspective, I think it's bad for college football. And I think if you're a Stanford, if you're a Cal fan, if you're um, potentially a Washington State or an Oregon State fan, because we'll talk about that a little bit later, this is a huge disappointment. And if you're a fan of those teams playing each other, right? If you're a fan of, you know, the Cal-Stanford matchups, the UCLA-Stanford matchups, the the Cal-USC matchups, if you're a fan of those and you lose those – that stinks. And I think that's bad for college football. And 
everything is is probably not as extreme as people make it seem to be, for for better or for worse. But take a team like West Virginia, and the amount of different conferences they have been in the last twenty years, and how their fans, at least from what I have seen, feel a little bit isolated in the Big Twelve. Like, yeah, it's nice to play Oklahoma. It's nice to play Texas. Which, by the way, those guys aren't going to be in the Big 12 anyway. But they don't really have a true rival in the Big 12. And I think that does go a certain... I mean, it, it matters it, to, to some people. And, and it matters to how much they care about college football. And so you go and you get USC and you, you get UCLA. And like you said, academically, spot on. Athletically, spot on. Tradition-wise, spot on. TV rights, marketing, spot on. I think they 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 crossed all the boxes off um, that they needed to checked all those boxes off that they needed to in order to join the Big Ten. But I do think this, and it's not just them. But when Texas and, and Oklahoma joined the SEC, as far as a regional fit, it wasn't a big deal. A and M was already there. You know, it made a little bit more sense. Missouri was already there. It made a little bit of sense. It's not every single. Um, there's a there's a current SEC team that touches every single state of of the new teams. That's obviously not the case with the two schools from California joining the Big Ten. I don't know how much that hurts in the long run if it does hurt, but you got to assume it hurts some at least the traditionalist feeling. So that that I think that's something that we're just gonna have to get used to in the college football world moving forward. But I think it stings for some people now. What I wanted to talk about next was um, what it kind of means moving forward. I don't really know, to be honest with you. Um, well, well, before we do that, I want to I want to talk about the other side of the, what I just mentioned, and that would be the potential for new rivalries. And this is something I posed to to Twitter. And I said, you know, take Penn State. Penn State prides themselves in being unrivaled. And people on Facebook were coming after me for the same, you know, whatever. Oh, we're unrivaled, blah, 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 whatever. College football is more fun when you are when you have a rivalry. That's just nature of the beast. You can ask Alabama fans. You can ask Auburn fans. As much as they hate each other, they love the rivalry. They love the game in Michigan and Ohio. Just how it is. Penn State does not have that. Maybe had it back in the day with West Virginia. Maybe had it back in the day with Pittsburgh. You could say maybe they played Maryland back in the day pretty tough. May, you know, Notre Dame, there was kind of a respected potential rivalry there. Um, but now that and, and since they've been in the Big Ten, they never had that. Michigan State, I think there was potential there, and there has always been some potential there. Um, Minnesota, not really, even though there's a trophy between them. But in my opinion... There is a huge, huge opportunity, Sean, for Penn State to get a rivalry-like relationship with the USC Trojans. And I think it would be a great opportunity. Two kind of uh, programs that are similar, one West Coast, one East Coast, both now joining to a conference where, I mean, obviously USC has a rivalry with, with Notre Dame, if Notre Dame would potentially join. But otherwise, I mean... Everyone's going to be looking to kind of, you know, win their first matchup against these two new guys. And look, the last two times Penn State's played USC in the Rose Bowl, they, they've gotten beat. And I think I think it's an awesome opportunity, and I hope they take advantage of it, especially since Lincoln Riley's there. 
and especially since James Franklin's here. I think it's a great opportunity to young coaches that like to recruit, that like the spotlight in that kind of fashion. They could build something special, and it could be exciting for everybody. And again, rivalries make college football more fun. I hope they potentially take advantage of this. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and I think a lot of it, because um, I don't think it's any secret that Penn State fans have never really felt welcome in the Big, in the Big Ten. Uh, this goes back all the way from the beginning, 1994, the Midwest teams, the coaches didn't vote for Penn State. And um, I think Penn State fans felt slighted by that. And it's always been seen as Michigan and Ohio State's conference, which I tend to agree it is. So do I think a new team coming in opens up the opportunity for a potential rivalry with Penn State? Yeah. Um, A lot of it's going to depend, though, on how these divisions are set up. And will there be divisions? Are there going to be pods? Who gets added? Um, because I have a feeling, and it might not be tomorrow, it might not even be by, be, the end, be by the end of the year, but I think there are going to be more dominoes to fall. And you're eventually going to see the Big Ten go to 20 teams. Um, and I have an idea of who those 20 teams might be. Well, who the other four teams might be. Um, and I I think who makes the most sense is Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Notre Dame. Now, I don't know for sure if Notre Dame would join, but they're, and I think they would be the biggest prize, but their TV contract with NBC expires in 2025. So knowing that, and knowing that USC and UCLA are due to join in 2024, it wouldn't surprise me if you see talk of this die down for a little bit and then suddenly pick up like it did with UCLA and USC getting added and all of a sudden Notre Dame's joining the Big Ten or Stanford, Oregon, and Washington are joining the Big Ten or some combination of that. But I think the Big Ten expands to 20 and the sec probably expands to 20 and then everybody else probably joins probably forms their own conference or something along those lines um but i mean we're all kind of spitballing here um and we really don't know what happens next and i sort of agree with you that i i don't know if this is good for college football um, because if you have two really mega conferences, two conferences that make up, um, you know, a huge majority of that have that that are made up by a huge majority of the teams, and then it's just sort of a bunch of after afterthoughts, all in another conference. Is that really good for college football? And I'm not really sure if it is. So now would probably be a good time for some kind of college football commissioner. But I've been talking about that for years and years now. And well, it's never come to fruition. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's kind of break that down step by step there, because I think there's a lot of important things in there too. Um, 
I think the teams you mentioned as far as potentially joining the Big Ten um, are, are, are my top four off the bat, too. I also agree with you. I don't think things are going to happen very soon. I, if everyone's waiting on Notre Dame, I don't think Notre Dame's in any huge rush because they're in a pretty good position. Now, that being said, if you know they're not in in 2024, I don't know what you – I think you just get, what my guess is going to be is they're going to get rid of the divisions for 2024 that'd be my guess they just get rid of the divisions they don't have to worry about it they go to some sort of similar format that the acc has gone to three protected teams that they play every year and then they mix up everybody else um especially if they think they're gonna add more teams in the near future that way you don't have to worry about trying to make divisions they're getting rid of divisions and then adding divisions and getting like you don't have to worry about any of that so I, I think that's probably what they'll do is they'll just get rid of divisions as a whole. They were probably going to do that before USC and UCLA joined anyway. Um, so I think that's what they do in the in the meantime. But, yeah, I agree. I don't think Notre Dame is going to be joining anytime soon. I mean, let's look at the money aspect of it and, and figure it out for Notre Dame. First of all, Notre Dame can do whatever they want because of how much money they're going to be able to bring in to whoever. Nobody, the SEC or the Big Ten or the ACC for that matter, is going to say no to Notre Dame in a couple years from now. So that gives them some flexibility. That being said, it gets interesting when you start talking about the specifics of the money. Because right now, the ACC and all ACC members, including Clemson, including Florida State, who have been rumored maybe to go to the SEC, which, by the way, I'm not on the FSU bandwagon for the SEC. doesn't really make sense to me um, because they don't bring any sort of market value to them. But anyway, those teams in the ACC are locked in a contract so 2036. So any sort of media rights, the ACC owns those teams till 2036. Now, I'm sure lawyers are already trying to figure out ways around that, but that's the case for right now. However, the interesting aspect of all this is the ACC's TV contract. I think teams will be making uh, roughly around $36 million. Right now. Last year, 2021, Big Ten teams are making $46 million. What's crazy, Sean, is that the future contract that's supposed to be signed the next year or so, before USC and UCLA was going to join, was going to be $100 million roughly per school, before USC and UCLA. So now, you add those two programs, you're looking at probably a buck forty, maybe even a buck fifty per school. That is, uh, compared to $36 million in the ACC, that is a huge difference. Now, Notre Dame does not fall into that category for that money because they have their own deal with NBC. Well, that money is, I believe, $120 million, which is great. $120 million is fantastic. But if they would join the Big Ten, you're looking at a potential for $180, maybe even $200 million. I'm not a finance expert, but that's roughly what it would probably end up coming to be if you had USC and you had UCLA plus Stanford or plus Notre Dame, let alone if you added Washington or if you added Stanford or if you added Oregon to that mix. Then you're easily talking about $200 million per, per share uh, for each school. And that is astronomically ahead of any conference, even the SEC, but obviously way ahead of the ACC. So that is where it gets interesting. And, and of course, that's way more money than NBC is giving Notre Dame too. And I can't imagine NBC coming close to that number. That's that's where it gets interesting is Notre Dame going to stay with NBC, 
where they're probably even if they got a buck fifty out of them, that'd still end up being less than what they could be getting in the Big Ten. And when it's all said and done, if you're right and all these you know conferences kind of combined and collide, and it's just the SEC and the Big Ten with the majority of the teams. Notre Dame will be on the outside looking in from a competitive spe- perspective. And I don't know if they want to necessarily, you know, they want to bet on themselves as much as possible. They've always been doing that. But how long do you do that for when you can join the Big Ten and you can make most likely $180, 200000000 million a year? I mean, that's pretty substantial. So I, I think the ACC is in huge trouble. I think all it takes is for Clemson to flip and the ACC is pretty much done. And people are going to run as fast as they can. Um, I think the Pac-12 is going to be around, but is it going to be anything significant? I think if Oregon flips, just like the ACC, the Pac-12 is done. And, and Oregon is and, and Washington have already been apparently rumored to be on hold with the Big Ten, waiting to see what Notre Dame does. So I think that's kind of what you're looking at money-wise, and I think that gives the Big Ten a huge advantage in all of us. Yeah, and I and I really don't know why Oregon and Washington and the Big Ten, I don't know why they're waiting for Notre Dame. And I say that because I I just don't know what one has to do with, with, with the other. If you bring in Oregon, Washington, and Stanford, you bring in the Bay Area money, you bring in uh, the Seattle market, and then you're going to be able to make an even better offer to Notre Dame. And like you said, this could be something huge, like we've never seen before in college football. And if there's one thing Notre Dame likes, other than being very pompous, it's money. The Catholic Church and Notre Dame love their money. They love it more than anything else. And knowing that, you want to make your best offer possible. So why not just get Oregon, Stanford, and Washington or Oregon, Stanford, and Cal, or some kind of combination of that on board. Um, so I really don't know why they're dragging their feet and waiting for and trying to get something done with Notre Dame first. Um, unless maybe they're trying to compete with NB, maybe NBC's trying to make an offer to them uh, after their 2025 contract. I really don't know. Um, but I really, um, I'm really wondering why they're dragging their feet on it. I also think this is actually pretty good for the Big 12 because if the Pac-12 were to fall apart, I would assume Arizona, Arizona State, uh, and maybe Utah, they might be looking at the Big 12. Uh, it's possible the SEC could absorb them as well. But I sort of think that the SEC is really not interested in them as much as they are uh, Clemson, Miami, um, and maybe as they are maybe Clemson and Miami and maybe a couple other teams from the from the ACC. Like you said, barring that, um, barring what's going on with the ACC um, and the teams being tied into them for the next um, 10 plus years. Yeah, I think the, I think the Big Twelve came out of this at least a little bit happy. Now I don't know long term, but yeah, I think right now the Big Twelve feels a little bit better. I think it would be smart for both the SEC and the Big Twelve to, to go after those remaining Pac-12 schools, um, 
Arizona, Arizona State's an interesting one. Even they, people were even saying maybe they would go to Penn State or to Penn State, but to the Big Ten. I just don't, I don't see that happening. But maybe, but I don't see it happening. I think it would be smart. Um, I don't think Arizona. I, mean, I think Phoenix is the eleventh largest market. I don't know if that is enough of a pool to want to go get the Arizona schools if you're the Big Ten. But if you're the Big Twelve, you you would take that. For sure. If you're the SEC and that gets you in another time zone, maybe you'd be willing to consider taking that. But I don't I, I think both the Big Ten and the SEC are looking right now and they're only taking schools that they know can be a benefit and, and provide more money. And this is kind of the thick of it, Sean, because no they're at the point now where they can take who they want. So they're not gonna people think that all like teams are going to end up in two conferences. That's not how this is going to go down. People are going to be left out. They are only going to take people that provide more money because if you start taking the UABs of the world, if you start taking, you know, just to give you an idea, the Bowling Greens of the world into the, into the big 10, et cetera, those teams are not going to provide much money and therefore everyone else then gets less money. So that's not going to that's not how any of this is going to go down. The Big Ten's only going to go after the SEC's only going to go after teams that are going to provide more money. Like you said, Miami, Clemson, obvious ones for the SEC. Maybe I guess FSU because everyone keeps saying it. I I still name brand. I get it. But from a market perspective, I think it's hilariously terrible. Um, the interesting ones to me, Sean, are the a- the ACC teams that are left. Duke. North Carolina, if Clemson would flip, Duke, North Carolina, what do what happens to the Virginia schools? Because Virginia just showed by not hiring Anthony Poindexter, they're, they're not serious about football yet. And if you're not going to be serious about football, I don't know what the SEC thinks about that. I mean, obviously a good basketball school, but is that going to be enough? Or do you take Virginia Tech? Do you take both? And then Louisville? I mean, there there's a lot of interesting, and then like, would the Big Ten consider Pittsburgh, even though the that market's already kind of saturated between Ohio State and Penn State? I I'm curious about those kind of teams. Like Pittsburgh is the Big Ten, what Florida State is the SEC. Like that market's already kind of covered by other surrounding teams, and they're not necessarily bringing top notch football programs to the conference. I I just don't know if if that's enough to get those there, but I think. The SEC and the Big Ten, both of them want to dismantle and take from the ACC first. Um, and I'm curious how that all goes down. You mentioned Georgia Tech at the beginning of this. I really, and I've said this since they went and got Nebraska, thought that the Big Ten should get Georgia Tech as soon as they could. You get the Atlanta market, and that opens up a whole brand new sort of, it doesn't even matter how good they are at sports. It opens up all new sorts of possibilities. And the amount of money that Georgia Tech would bring in if you get the Atlanta market would be insane. So um, I think that's an interesting one. But I, I don't really know. And again, I don't think anything's going to happen for a while. Um, I think it's a good point. I don't know why you necessarily wait for Notre Dame. Um, there might be money behind it. If no, you get Notre Dame, you can offer more. You know, you can expect more money from these TV contracts. But yeah, I mean... You would think if you're Notre Dame, and we've heard this, that the SEC has been trying to pick Notre Dame too, which would be great for them. If they could get you know the Chicago market, they'd, they'd feel fantastic about that. Um, but here's the thing. 
and I think Notre Dame fans care about this more than a lot of other schools. You come back to that regional kind of competitiveness that matters to Notre Dame fans. That matters to their fan base. Um, some of them don't want to play Penn State, but if you go to them and you say you can play Michigan State, you can play Indiana, you can play Michigan, you can play USC, you can play Stanford, you can play Purdue. That's that's most of their rivals. I mean, why wouldn't you take that if you're Notre Dame? You get to play almost all your rivals already in that situation. Um, most of the games would be closed, and you're probably making a lot more money in, in the process, and you won't be left out when it's all said and done. So I, I think that is going to eventually be the winning argument. But like you said, why, why would you wait? I don't have the answer to that one. Um, I'm curious what other people think about that. Um, but that's kind of the landscape right now, Sean. That's that's where we're at. Um, I'm curious what teams get left out. And, and I, the last thing I want to get into about this, Sean, which is an interesting point. I think Adam Bittner had a, had a, a thread about this. Um, Pittsburgh media member. I thought he had a really good point, And it was this. There is still opportunity for these big schools to eventually return to their, their local conferences. The reason why USC left, why UCLA left, was they were getting the same share of money as the Washington states of the world, even though they were providing a lot more of the money from the market perspective. As soon as you start making contracts, as soon as the little schools are okay with the bigger schools taking a larger slice of the pie, as long as they get to continue to play big boy football, then things start to even out again. Theoretically, if Clemson goes to the ACC and says, hey, we'll stay. But right now, why is Wake Forest getting the same amount of money as we are? Why is Syracuse getting the same amount of money as we are when we are the reason why the ACC is still here? We want, I don't know. 20 percent, we want 15 percent of the TV market instead of whatever our, our percentage is right now. That could change everything, because if you would have told USC and UCLA, if the Pac-12 went to them and like, hey, we're going to try to expand. We're going to try to get maybe UNLV. We're going to try to maybe get San Diego State. And we're going to go ahead and give you guys a larger slice of that pie. Why would USC leave that? They wouldn't. Why would you go across the country to play Big Ten schools when you can get almost the same amount of money close by? Right now, they couldn't, and that's why they left, and they didn't want to be left out. But if everybody started doing that again, I think you could see a huge transformation in this entire process. I just don't think we're there quite yet. Yeah, and that could be a potential snag with a team like Notre Dame. And Notre Dame may want their cake and need it too. They may want to be to have sort of special treatment with their NBC that they that they may try to renegotiate some NBC contract and still join the Big Ten. Now, I think if that happens, the big, the, I think the Big Ten tell them to go pound sand. We don't need you that badly, and you could be left out. And I would bar my, I would bar the teams from playing them. But that's just me. Um, so, and I, I think you, you touched on a good point too that this is all about money, and I think USC. UCLA and one of the and I think with USC and UCLA one of the reasons I really didn't think this would happen 
And I was surprised to find out the USC and UCLA were the ones that reached out to the Big Ten. And one of the reasons I didn't think would happen is I didn't think they'd want to travel so much. Like, why would you want to travel to Penn State in late October or November? Why would you want to do that? And I think the answer is just money. And they're going to get more money by staying in the Big Ten than staying in the Pac-12. And like you said, kind of being, uh, making most of the money for schools that are smaller. And yeah, the Pac-12 can come and say, hey, we're going to try to get San Diego State. We're going to try to get Boise State. Well, okay. Or we could go to the Big Ten and we have all these schools there and we're already and we're going to be making more money because we have the Chicago market, we have the New York market, we have the Philadelphia market, and now we're going to add in the L.A. market. We're going to make even more money. And Notre Dame might be coming, too, uh, along with the Seattle market. when We might be during the Seattle market and the Bay Area market. Um, so I think it just so I think it made sense to them for a fi- from a financial standpoint. Um, but that's really about it from their perspective, in, in, in my opinion, uh, maybe from an academic standpoint, because the Big Ten is an excellent academic conference, but so was the Pac-12. So that, so there, there's that as well. Uh, I think it's a borderline wash there. Um, but um, needless to say, and you also touched on this, this was probably the most seismic conference realignment in history. Because, yes, Texas and Oklahoma going on the SEC, that was a big deal. But it made sense from a geographic standpoint. And in a way, it, all, it always sort of felt inevitable that Texas and Oklahoma might be looking at the SEC at some point in time, uh, especially when A&M left, the Big 12. But the Big 10 out of the clear blue sky going into, Calif- going into Southern California and pulling out USC and UCLA, that's definitely the most seismic uh, realignment we've seen. And I think as time goes on, you're going to see that, that, that this wasn't the last domino to fall. Right, right, right. Um, I'm curious, and I'm sure this is already being discussed, if there is a NBC box conversation happening right now. And what that would look like and how much money that could potentially um, be provided. Because if you do expand to 20 teams, Fox can't necessarily cover all those games. Um, Obviously, ESPN will pick up some potentially. But if Fox could look to the NBC and be like, hey, you know, you pick up, you know, some of these Notre Dame games when they play Navy or they play whomever. You pick up a couple of these USC games. You pick up some of these stamps. There's enough to go around if you have 20 teams in the Big Ten. Um, things look a little bit differently. You can't put everybody on the Big Ten network. Um, but a lot of these programs are expected to be on TV. So I think that will be interesting. The last thing I want to mention about this, Sean, is this is obviously the end of the alliance. And the alliance didn't last very long. Some people probably listening to this don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, but that idea that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the ACC were going to stick together against the SEC and they got together and they they shook hands and they did all that. 
and that's about all they did. And the Big Ten comes out and they steal the Pac-12's, you know, crown jewels, <laughs> if you will. Um, and that's the end of it. Just like that, it's done. Yeah, it was a very short-lived alliance. Um, and if you're listening to this and you, again, you have no idea what we're talking about, I don't blame you. It really never, I, I never really understood what it was. Um, I guess they were trying to stand up to the SEC by, I don't know, they were going to schedule each other or something. But I, it was a very short-lived alliance uh, reminiscent of the Molotov ribbon, uh, what was it, Ribbentrop? Um, it was the deal between the Germans and the Soviets in World War II. Um, spoiler alert, the Germans betrayed the Soviets. Um, kind of like that. Um, and I don't really understand, again, don't really know what the point was, and the Big Ten just, uh, took that deal up and shredded it into pieces. Right, and that was the end of that. Well, Sean, we talked about it for 37 minutes, um, I think we'll talk about a lot more in the future. Um, obviously it's not done right now, but I think it's done for right now. I mean, maybe Notre Dame comes out tomorrow and and changes their minds, but... I don't really see them being in a huge rush here. And, and like you said, maybe they go ahead and, and say, yeah, we want Stanford and we want Oregon or we want Washington, whatever the case may be. Um, we'll see. The, 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 you know, the balls are kind of in the courts of Notre Dame, Oregon, and Clemson. If we are going towards two conferences, those three programs kind of hold the keys right now. Um, to how this all finally goes down. So um, pay attention. We'll keep you updated best you can. Again, if you're not following us on Twitter, make sure you're following us on Twitter. I'm at Hardcore PSUFB. Uh, it's the best place as far as I've been trying to do a good job retweeting as credible um, information as I can on there. I know people are interested in it. Um, so that is a good place to be. Some Somewhat on Facebook too, but that is Twitter is definitely the best place to be for all of that. Um, Sean, we were potentially going to have a commit tomorrow um, in linebacker Tony Rojas. He has since moved that back 10 days. I believe it's to the 15th. Um, maybe it's the 14th. You can correct me in a second. Um, but it sounds like he's still a Penn State lean for people that haven't kind of looked into that. Uh, he said he's already had committed to whoever he's committed. So he's a, he's a quiet commit right now, silent commit to whoever he is. Pretty confident that's Penn State. So I wouldn't be too worried there. But there was another commit, one that I was a little bit more nervous about than you were, and that is safety, uh, King Mack. Getting that job done uh, was between Penn State and Michigan State. Conrad Hussey's his teammate already committed to Penn State in the 2023 class. Um, somehow, some way, Penn State's got three really talented players. Three, right? Three really talented players out of the state of Michigan, or uh, state of Michigan, Jesus, state of Florida now. Uh, yes, that's correct. Yeah. Um, King Mac, um, again, like you said, I was pretty confident that Penn State was going to land him. Wasn't a hundred percent sure, but sure enough, they uh, were able to close the deal with him, get him over. Um, he chose Penn State over Michigan State. Uh, they were the two finalists. So it's always good to win a battle, um, with Mel Tucker. Um, I believe I just saw, and got it. I, I forget the name of the person. I forget the name of the reporter. I just saw somebody uh, said that he's 
they ranked Kang Mac the ninth fastest um, uh, prospect in the 2023 class overall. So he's a speedster. He's a guy that could play that might be able to go to, to go and play some corner, uh, maybe in a nickel role. Um, and he's he was an out, he's an outstanding um, high school safety. We talked about him a lot. Like you said, Conrad Hussey is his teammate, and this was another big addition for Penn State in the Southeast. Yeah, and I think it's important to go back and say, look, they won against Michigan State, but they also won against a head coach who's known for being a defensive back coach um, and has had a lot of momentum as of late. So I, I think this was a big win for Penn State. And again, the pipeline to Michigan, God, I just did it again. The pipeline to Florida um, is really starting the show now. And I can't tell you right now, I mean, more commits from the South than from the Pennsylvania Northeast area, which is just nuts to me. Um, with opportunity for that to continue to grow with Cam Seldon and Tony Rojas from Virginia still out there um, and a couple other guys too. So it's nuts to me, Sean, but this class that when we were talking two, two and a half, three weeks ago, we were like, I don't really know where it's going to end up now has so much momentum. And we, we were talking about the over under at five and a half from our last podcast. We've already hit one. If you think Rojas and Robinson are, are definite locks, that, that gets you to three pretty quickly. If you think Montgomery and Webb are locks, that gets you to four or five. And then you're looking at maybe a Cam Seldon to, to, to get you to that six mark in July potentially. So there's a lot of potential. They ended up with, what, five in June, Sean? Uh, I think that's correct. Five? Yeah, I think it was five. Um, you're looking at a potential for five more in July, which is just nuts. Um, and again, that would put them really close to that 20 number, which I think is where you want to be as you head into August and you don't have to worry as much about catching up or, or things like that. So they're in a really good spot. Um, there's a lot of commitment dates out for, for some of these guys. I think Penn state could end up getting, um, yeah, I, I think July could be special, uh, for, 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 for this 2023 class. And it's just remarkable what, what the staff has done so far in recruiting for this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just looking as you were uh, talking, um, and Penn State, uh, we've touched on this before, that it's even better when you consider that this is considered sort of a down year for Pennsylvania as far as talent goes. But if you look at the top players in Pennsylvania, Javan Javan Williams is a commitment to Penn State. Uh, Rodney Gallagher went to West Virginia. Tamir Robinson is a commit uh, is committed to Penn State. Uh, Jameel Lyons also committed to Penn State. Or no, Tamir Robinson's not committed to Penn State yet, but he is. Um, he has he's crystal ball to go to Penn State. And London Montgomery is the seventh best player in the state of PA, and he's he's um, has crystal balls to Penn State. So um, they have done well in recruiting what. And recruiting the top players in PA, but making up for uh, maybe a little less talent in Pennsylvania by expanding where they're looking, by go by looking in Texas, by looking in Alabama, by continuing to recruit Florida hard as they have the past few years. 
Um, and it's a huge credit to the staff, and especially considering um, the two disappointing seasons in a row, for them to keep rec- hitting the recruiting trail hard, uh, it says a lot about it says a lot about their abilities on the recruiting trail. Um, again, broken record, got to start winning games. But if they're able to do that, then the sky's the sky's the limit with them because these are these are some great recruiters on the staff. It definitely helps winning games when you bring in classes like this. And just remember, guys, the 2021 class, similar fashion to this class as far as not a bunch of talent in Pennsylvania. And it's really because these kids are able to come on campus and you see the difference when they actually take their official visits. Um, How Franklin and company are able to connect makes a difference. And I mean, they're doing extremely well in Virginia too. So yeah, I'm overly impressed. Um, Obviously, you know, you would expect top 10 uh, classes will translate to more wins. It does for pretty much everybody else. Um, yeah, you got you got to be happy right now if you're Penn State. Obviously, it's a long way to go, and you know maybe if you have a bad season, some of those guys do decommit, unfortunately. But I think there's also opportunity to continue to grow this class in a way maybe we didn't think was possible a couple weeks ago. So um, yeah, if 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 you're you're feeling pretty good right now, you're feeling a lot better than you did a month ago, which which is important for, for Penn State. And and they try to get these things done early, and I think it's it's paid off for them. So um, it also probably doesn't hurt now that they can say, hey, you get to go to L.A. Uh, most likely once or twice in your time at Penn State. Like, that's not a bad little um, – and then we texted a little bit about how maybe they get to push a, the recruiting a little bit more to the West. Um, but, hey, you also have to recruit this way because as well as Penn State's recruiting – Ohio State and Notre Dame, potentially future Big Ten opponent, uh, is also recruiting extremely well. Both of them are. So if you want to beat the best, you have to recruit very well. And Ohio State's recruiting exceptionally well right now as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so is USC. Um, These are going to be teams that uh, we're at least going to be – Notre Dame we've always recruited against and we might be playing against them. So that just raises the stakes to uh to keep to keep up with the Joneses. Um and yeah, I I am hopeful that maybe playing USC and UCLA um at least a couple times every few years uh however this shakes out yeah, I think that's going to open up opportunities to the West. Uh, I I don't think it hurt playing Auburn, and then all of a sudden we're recruiting Alabama, the state of Alabama pretty well. Um, so I and I'm hoping that this does that this will open up uh, opportunities to Southern California because man, there are a lot of kids in Southern California. Um, that are that that are extremely talented. It would still be it'd still be tough getting them across country, um, getting them that far away from home. But at least we'll be in the conversation. Maybe we could convince a kid or two to come out east because I believe the last guy we've had from California, I think it's Cole Farmer, and he, he that was a long, long time ago. 
You know, they had the uh, uh, quarterback. Was it Michael Johnson from Oregon, too? But um, Yes. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. Um, Koa Farmer, I think, might be the last guy. I can remember correctly. There might have been somebody, but that that's the that's the guy who I was thinking when you brought that started bringing that up. Yeah, that 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 seems to be right. Um, yeah, I I don't. Yeah, who who knows how much that makes you know a difference in the long run? But it can't hurt. It can't hurt. Um, and it just strengthens the con- you know the uh, conference as a whole. I mean, the better competition, the better you know the better it is for everybody. So. Um, any final thoughts on recruiting right now, Sean? Obviously, the visits, I guess we're technically in a dead period. Um, so visits are done for now. Uh, any final thoughts on that or how Penn State's standing? Anything else you want to say about it? No, I think this will be the least amount of recruiting talk we've had um, in the past month and probably with the month coming up because I have a feeling things are going to start kicking in the high gear again. And again, I want to uh, maybe I'll talk a little bit about Tony Rojas, um, and I just want to also touch on what you said. Don't worry too much about him moving his commitment date back. Um, it sounds like it has nothing to do with wanting to see some see Georgia or anything, and it seems like he's already committed. It's just a scheduling thing, so no worries there. I still firmly expect Penn State to land Tony Rojas next week. Yeah, that's that, that. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, let's move to Northwestern. Well, not literally move. Um, Northwestern is a team. That on the even years. 2020, 2018 does really well. And then for whatever reason, once people expect them to do something well, they do are terrible the following year. Uh, and then once you expect them to be terrible, they do really well the next year. They're coming off a 3-9 season. So everyone's expecting them to be terrible. I'm guessing most people are expecting them to be last, if not second to last, in the Big Ten West. Theoretically, they had a really good year in 2020. And they were supposed to have even a better year in 2021. A lot of people came back. Things were looking good. They were not better. They were worse in almost every category. One of the worst defenses Pat Fitzgerald's had as far as yards um per play given up so all that being said they're probably going to go 11 and 1 or something like that and win the Big 10 West they don't have depth and that's my biggest concern for this Northwestern squad especially on defense one one spot where maybe you think okay yeah like they'll be okay is the defense like the defense Pat Fitzgerald they'll figure it out they did not figure it out last year. They don't have very much depth back in the defensive line position. They have decent linebackers, but they're young. Um, and they do bring back three guys in the secondary, but they only had six interceptions last year. And everyone, anyone who had an interception last year is gone. So they don't have very much production back in the secondary. The offense wasn't good last year. It's probably not going to be good again this year. They have a quarterback battle going on there. Um, the only bright spot, Sean, for this Northwestern squad, they bring four guys back on the offensive line. And they didn't run the ball tremendously well last year. But you're just thinking if they could run the ball a little bit better, maybe they could keep their defense off the field a little bit more. Maybe things could get better. Um, but all the signs are pointing towards Northwestern not being very good next year. So they're probably going to be great. 
Yeah, that's a story with Northwestern. Um, like you said, they're they're good in the even years, but eventually that those are coincidences, and eventually that they they see that it stops happening. Um, yeah, looking at them, they were actually a little worse than I thought they were last year, and I knew they were bad, but I didn't know they were quite as bad as they were. They had a lot of games where. 14 points, 14 points, 12 points, 14 points. And in most of these games, they weren't just being beaten. They were, they got their doors blown off them. Like they weren't like North Nebraska last year where they just lost a bunch of close games. They just, they were horrible. I mean, getting that did, I believe. Yeah, they got, they got blown out by Nebraska 56-7. Um, they, oh, also, they did play Ohio. They beat them 35-6. So that's the team Penn State's playing this year. Um, yeah, they just, they really, really struggled to do anything last year. Uh, they were 101st in total defense. Um, they had a quarterback-ish, quarter, quarterback controversy the whole year. Neither one of them were any good. I don't believe, and neither one of them come back. Uh, but like you said, the thing that they might be able to lean on a little bit is their offensive line. And maybe they could run the ball. Maybe they could keep their uh, defense off the field and control the clock. Uh, but that's really the only hope I think they have of being competitive in the Big Ten this year. Because I just... I don't believe in this team be, being anything special. No, no. Um, Ryan Helensky will probably be the quarterback uh, transferred a couple of years ago from South Carolina. Um, Evan Hall had, for what Penn State would be considered, really good stats. Um, 1,200 yards rushing, 6.5 yards per carry, uh, 11 touchdowns. Like, if a Penn State running back could do that, Penn State fans would be going crazy. Um, so there's potential there, especially with a really good offensive lineman. I did want to mention him by name, uh, Peter Skorinski, offensive tackle, probably their best player overall in the entire team um, at that tackle spot. So I did want to at least mention him. The one corner that was coming back, uh, A.J. Hampton, 44 tackles last year. I, I must have misspoke. He, he did have two interceptions. Um, no, he, he's had two interceptions his entire career, so he didn't have any last year. But um, he's going to have to step up. But I just, like you said, man, I mean, I think they got murdered by Michigan State, too. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't that they were losing the close games, like you said. And that was because of their defense was so bad. I don't expect their defense to be as bad. Um, maybe somebody can correct me if I was wrong, but I'm pretty sure they had a new defensive coordinator this year. Um and or the in 2021, and so maybe that was part of it. I, I don't really know, but they've got to do something because last year was last year was bad, but it was bad in a different way for Northwestern, and that's important, right? Because like no one expects Northwestern's offense to be anything crazy good, but they expect good defense, sound defense at least, and that wasn't the case last year, um, and that's at least been Fitzgerald's mo, and so. You look at their schedule and 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 how it kind of lines up. You know, they have some winnable games on their schedule that makes you think, okay, like maybe they could get some momentum and 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 things could maybe start getting good. But if they can't do that, 
if they lose, you know, some of these games they should probably win off, you know, at at the get go, then who knows what's going to happen? Like they should probably beat Duke. I would assume that's probably a toss up, but they should probably, you know, take care of Illinois at home to end the year. And, um, they, they should be able to, to maybe beat, I guess, Miami of Ohio. I, I don't even know if they'll be able to 100% do that. Um, they get Nebraska at home, and Nebraska maybe could be better. But that's one of those ones, if you're trying to go to a bowl game, you kind of have to win. So um, They also get Wisconsin at home, and Wisconsin doesn't play really well at Evanston. So I don't know. I, again, if you believe in the magic of the even number, you're going to – if I gave you the over-under, Sean, at five and a half, I think you'd take the over if you believe in that and you believe in what Pat Fitzgerald is as a coach. If you don't, you know, you could easily see another 3-9 season, easily. Yeah, I would take the under. Um, just looking at their schedule uh, that they have, they, they draw from the East this year. They draw. They have to go to Penn State. And they have Ohio. They do host Ohio State, but they have to play Ohio State. Uh, they have to go to Kinnick. Uh, like you said, Duke's probably a toss-up. They have that Week Zero matchup with Nebraska, which I think is going to be a telling game, and I'm interested to see how that goes uh, for both programs, really. Um, but it's it's a tough. It's there's a, there's a lot of tough games. They got to go to Purdue. I probably see five wins. Uh, I'll go Duke, Southern Illinois, Miami of Ohio. Uh, I'll give them Illinois. And I'll say they beat either Maryland or Nebraska. And they probably end up five and seven. Yeah, that's probably. It's funny, though, because that first game against Nebraska is very much like Scott Frost has to win that game. Absolutely. And so it's, you know, you think maybe some pressure beyond Pat Fitzgerald, but there's no pressure on Pat Fitzgerald. No, no, he can do whatever he wants there. And, and so all the pressure is on Scott Frost. That is a big time game. Um, I was, I think, is that week zero technically, or is that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. August 31st or 27th, right? Okay. I think I saw it. 27th. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that that will be an early, you know, kind of good idea of like you said, what we're looking at measuring stick barometer for for this team. Um, but yeah, they're gonna try to run the ball, and if they can't run the ball, they are not gonna be able to do very much on offense. So if you can take care of the football, you're probably gonna be fine. And by the way, Northwestern gave the ball away a bunch last year too. So, um, and they were terrible on third down conversions too. Just overall, not a good offense. Um, you take care of the ball yourself, you're probably gonna be fine. If this game was at Northwestern and it was a sleepy 11 o'clock game and it was sandwiched between, say, Michigan and Ohio State, like maybe there's more concern here. But that's not really the case. Again, Central Michigan beforehand, and then you get Michigan afterwards on the road. I just don't think it's a big deal. I think this is a really good opponent to have right before Michigan. Um, And, you know, you kind of look at it, Sean. And yeah, Purdue Purdue could end up being pretty good. We don't really know. They won nine games last year, so we'll give it to them. We'll say they're pretty good. Minnesota, people are saying, might win the Big Ten West. We'll say they're pretty good. But 
you look at who Penn State has to play in the Big Ten West, nothing crazy daunting. Like, yeah, playing at Purdue is not the best thing to have to do. But if you avoid at Nebraska, you avoid at Iowa, and you avoid at Wisconsin, and let's just throw in at Minnesota because Penn State lost the last time they were out there, um, you would take that. Yeah, definitely. I don't think this is too tough of a draw from the West this year. Uh, For the first time, we don't have to play. For the first time, I believe since 2016, we don't have to play Iowa. And just not having Iowa on the schedule is is, um, a huge relief. Um, So for the first time in a long time, I think Penn State got a little bit lucky with their with their West crossovers. Not to say that Purdue won't be a challenge. I think they will be. Um, and Minnesota could be a challenge, too. But we get Minnesota at home. Uh, West Lafayette really isn't the most intimidating place to play. I think they might have some, there, there might be some juice there that night because it'll be the first game of the season. It'll be a Thursday night game. But I'm not really too worried about the West Lafayette crowd. Um, and then you get you get to host Northwestern, who was the worst team in the conference maybe last. It was probably probably was the worst team in the conference last year. So I'll definitely take that crossover versus what we had to do last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're looking at going at Wisconsin and going at Iowa. I mean, it's not even really comparative um, in any kind of stretch of the imagination. So, um, look, I, I we could sit here and talk about Northwestern a lot more. Um, we'll have a preview out, Know Your Enemy video out on YouTube. You guys definitely did not care about Central Michigan. Not a lot of views for Central Michigan. Not, not a lot of love there. Um, but we do have all of them so far. So we got Purdue's out there. We've got Ohio out there, which you guys also didn't care that much about. Not a lot of Mac fans are watching our podcast, apparently. Um, Auburn's out there. Central Michigan's out there. We'll try to get Northwestern out there probably sometime next week. Um, maybe this weekend. We'll kind of, we'll kind of see where we're at. Uh, but we're getting through them. This is probably the last boring matchup we talk about. I know there's Indiana in there a little bit late, later, but the next four games or so are pretty pretty important games for this Penn State and the line squad, and it's obviously heading in October where things start to get really interesting. Um, and so we, we'll talk about Michigan next week. Yeah, it's a tough October um, outside of, Northwestern, I, I think Northwestern should be a pretty easy win. But we start getting into, we, but we get into Michigan, and that Michigan game really could tell the story of the whole season. Um, it's right in the middle of the season, and that probably dictates uh, this team's tra- trajectory. If they could go into Michigan and get a win, that's going to be gigantic for this team. If they come up short, well, it could it probably really limits on what you're going to be able to do the rest of the year uh, with it being in Big Ten play. And that's really regardless of what happens at Auburn, because if they lose at Auburn, it doesn't have anything to do with the Big Ten with competing for a Big Ten championship. I think my my hope or my goal is for Penn State to be in a competitive and exciting position come Michigan Maybe even come Minnesota or Ohio State, but I want there to be something to play for and be right. excited about in October. So that means 
you got to take care of Purdue or Auburn. You can't lose to both of them. Um, you can't trip up to anyone else. Theoretically, in the best case scenario, you're undefeated going into this Michigan game. Um, and then, the, then October is our cock October. Like you said, it's going to be good. It's going to be bad. It's going to be whatever. But let's really try. If there's any Penn State fans or Penn State players listening, Penn State coaches listening, let's really try to win every game, obviously, but really try to win every game leading up to the Michigan game. Like all the previews we've done so far, go back and listen, go watch the YouTube videos, study your film, and try to win these first couple games so we can get into a position that was similar to where we were last year. Um, And if we got to where we were last year with the same record, I would feel a lot better about what kind of team we had, right? I mean, that means that this team has kind of faced some pretty credible opponents at that point um, in some pretty impressive environments. And uh, would, I hope, be able to run the ball a little bit better. So, yeah, that'd be, that would be nice. Let, let, let's aim for that. Yeah, I like to win games. So I would love to be undefeated going into Michigan. Um, and it's also important to keep in mind, it's not that daunting of the first five games. Got to go to Purdue. It's going to be a challenge. But they were, they're a 9-4 football team. It's They're not the New England Patriots. They're a good team. They have a good quarterback, but they're not the most intimidating team in the world. Then you got the two MAC teams in there. You got Auburn, who went six and seven last year, who we beat last year, and I think that's a very winnable game. Um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be an awesome environment that we're going to be playing in, but it's extremely winnable. And then we played Northwestern, who was the worst team in the conference last year. So it's not really that daunting if this team is worth a damn. And there's no reason why we should be any worse than four and one. And I think, I think there's more than a reasonable chance. This, sh- this will be a five and zero football team. That'd be nice. That'd be very nice. Well, Sean, it is midnight central now. And so it is 1am Eastern. So, um, we are going to wrap this one up. want to say thank you for you staying up late on the 4th of July. I want to say thank you to all the listeners um, who have been sharing. If you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening to this podcast and share it with one friend. I know some of you have been sharing because the numbers continue to go up. So thank you, guys. Uh, we really appreciate you guys. In the middle of June and now into July, you guys have really picked it up and have been listening and sharing. We appreciate that. If uh, you give us a five-star review on Apple, we'll read it aloud. I think we read one uh, last week. So um, just you know, keep being you guys. You guys are being fantastic. Uh, we will be back next week with potentially more recruiting news and obviously breaking down Michigan and maybe more conference realignment news. Who who knows? Every week now is something special, and I'm ready for college football to be back officially. Yeah, me too. Because once you hit July. At, at least for me, it always feels like, okay, football season's right there, especially after the 4th. I don't know what it is, but when I was a little kid, I always felt like after the 4th, school was going to be back quick. 
But that also meant football season was going to be back quick. And now I just work all the time, so I don't even think about, oh, we have to go back to work because, well, I have to go back to work tomorrow anyway. So I'm going to be working in the fall anyway. But football comes back, and that is something to be excited about. Um, and I hope we have a team this year that's really worth being excited about. And I'm I'm excited to see the product on the field, and I'm sure all of you are as well, or you wouldn't be listening to us right now. Right, right. I did want to throw out one more little random tidbit before we say goodbye. Um, there was a Reddit CFB tweet five hours ago that I thought I'd at least share. And this is a quote now. Hearing rumors of a proposal to merge the Big Ten and SEC and then add select other teams to form a 131-school ultra-mega-super conference. This would be subdivided into 8 to 12 divisions based on regions and traditional rivalries. Now, end quote. Now, take that for a grain of salt. But I just thought while we say goodnight and we brush our teeth, we can at least talk about the super ultra mega conference. Um, I don't think that's going to happen for what it's worth, my two cents. But I thought I'd just throw that out there as we uh, close things up. Yeah, then it's pretty much the a bigger version of the NFL at that point, except college kids, right? Right, and 131 doesn't seem like I said. People are going to get left out. That's just that's just how it's going to have to happen, unfortunately, yeah. if if it goes that way. So, well, Sean, um, appreciate you. You have a fantastic couple hours of sleep, and I will catch you next time, my friend. Yes, yes. Awesome talking, Corey. Um, happy 4th and now 5th July to all our listeners out there. And again, I, I also want to say thank you for listening. It's been awesome doing this, this these past few months, and I'm really looking forward to talking with you all during the season. Yeah, yeah. If you think the June and July podcasts or episodes are going well, just wait until we get into the thick of things. So uh, with that being said, goodbye. And good night from Hardcore Penn State football. I'm Corey Stokey. I was Sean Kane. Bye, everybody. Have a good night.